sons of Lot. Yes. Okay. So yes. they were related. <clears throat> Israel seems to have had a little more friendly relationship with Moab, more or less, uh, possibly than Ammon. But I, again, I mean, you've got to be a, a historian to, <laughs> to get all this straight. Uh, anyway, verse 2. Assyria is coming pretty far down on the eastern side of Israel, all the way down to Arrowhead. Verse 3. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim. Now this is the northern kingdom. Okay, this is Zebulun and Naphtali. Galilee of the Gentiles up in that area, right? Uh, the fortress will disappear from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus. And the remnant of Syria, that's Damascus, will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord. This is sarcasm on the part of the prophet. They will be like the glory of the children of Israel. Well, what's the glory of the children of Israel going to be after Assyria comes down? It's going to be an ash heap. That's what it's going to be. And uh, so Damascus is going to be the same way. So we can get confused here. <laughs> I can get confused. And I no doubt will be, but sometimes this is sarcasm. I mean, this is not saying, you know, that Syria is going to be glorious. On the contrary, it's going to be a heap of ruins, like like the children of Israel. So I'm going to be the same. God can be very sarcastic at times. In, indeed. So, indeed. And I've always felt like Christians have no concept of understanding of sarcasm. And so they take it as a reality, yeah. and they don't realize the humor in it. Yeah, well, if we don't, if we don't see it here, if we don't see it here, we're going to have a long understanding of what's going on. Well, the, very, the first phrase of that verse is about Ephraim being laid bare, you know, their, their fortress is removed from them. So There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there well, you verse go. 4 kind of clarifies it. Go All right, well, let's go on then. <clears throat> Verses 4 through 6. And in that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low. Jacob is Israel here in the northern kingdom. And in that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low, and the fat of his flesh will grow lean. And it shall be as when the reaper gathers standing grain, and his arms harvest the ears. And as when one gleans the ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim, gleanings will be left in it. That's when an olive tree is beaten, two or three berries on the top of the highest by a four or five, on the branches of a fruit tree declares the Lord God of Israel. That's the verse 6 then. That's it. So after Assyria comes down and defeats Israel, it'll be like, they'll have maybe a few little things to eat, maybe like a few olives maybe hanging around, a pear or two might show up on a tree or something like that. But not not abundance. I mean, this is okay, this is, this is part, uh, poverty city here. Yeah. Top of the trees too is hard to get to. Yeah. <laughs> well, the gleanings were to be left for the poor. Yes. So if all Israel, all they have is gleanings, that mean, that means they're all poor. They're all destitute. Wow. Indeed. This is why, you know, this is why it's so great in chapter 9 of Isaiah that we've read already. I mean, the people who walked in darkness have seen the great light, you know, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the light will shine. He's going to live to obscurity. So, indeed, it was just, it was just Galilee of the Gentiles. It was just a poverty area. Mm -hmm. It was inhabited by Gentiles, 
and a few Jews running around up there, which is why Jerusalem basically didn't like Israel. It was all Gentiles. And, you know, there's a few Jews up there, but I mean, how good could they really be? I mean, you know, all of that. <laughs> anything good come out of that. Anything good come out of that. And on and on it goes. You know. All right, that's verse 6. Now, verse 7. In that day, man will look to his maker, and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. So now, in God's usual way, He sets us up in seeking Him through disaster. Now, why we can't seek Him in the good times, and I'm not saying everybody does. I mean, some, some people but in a kind of a generalized way, why people won't seek him except in disaster, well, I guess I, that sounds like human nature to me. But, uh, okay, here we go. So God sends disaster into Israel, and guess what? Some people are going to seek the Savior after that. But, so God is uh, zealous for his children to make himself known. Yes. And... Uh, Sometimes things take various weird forms in terms of our journey with Christ. Does anybody have any comment there? Or does that sound right? Sounds right. Jim says it sounds right. Mainly basically years ago we used that same phrase. Brother Bob used to use it. God designs disaster. Well. So that you're either going out of trial, coming out, or going into another. Here it is, here. Oftentimes pain is the best teacher there is. Well, going prosperity, you know, leads to hedonism and self-sufficiency, mm. which is where we're at right now. Mm. Uh, yes. <laughs> Dr. Bobby B. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she had it turned off. Okay. All right. Sometimes that uh, that trial is just a spiritual one. Sometimes. That's, sometimes that's just a spiritual, like, yeah. state of... Darkness is probably mm -hmm. the best word. Mm -hmm. The dark night of soul. Well, you know, in this in this section, it's talking about the Asherim and the altars of incense. Yes. It's talking about the valley of the giants, like in the days of Joshua, Rephaim. Mm. So there's a lot of demonic undertones here. Mm. So there's there's spiritual warfare going on. Very much there's so. um, there's a there's sort of an unseen tribulation. Wow. Going on at the same time that the you know the hordes of Assyria are coming in, so you know one thing we can draw from that is that our tribulation is just as much spiritual as it is physical. Oh, I agree. Something you might not see on the surface. Yeah, very good. Well, let's look at verse seven again. In that day, man will look to his maker, and his eyes will look on the holy one of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands, and he will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the Asherim. Are the altars of incense. So those are verses 7 and 8. Um, this is a continuing prophetic theme here. Uh, tribulation, seek God. Tribulation, seek God. Let's look at Micah chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. If uh, whoever, Jim or Craig, whoever has that, Micah chapter 7, begin to verse 1. Yeah, 
know it's not one of the last three. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Which verse? It's before uh, one or Micah yeah. seven and one through seven. One through seven. Please. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, mm -hmm. as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no fruit first ripe fig that my soul desires. Mm -hmm. The godly has perished on earth, mm -hmm. and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. Prince and the judge ask for a bribe, wow. and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman as your, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord, and I will wait for the God of my salvation, for my God will hear me. See, it's a, wow. typical, it's a typical prophetic movement here. I mean, Micah, all of this disaster and sin, and the government runs by bribery. All governments run by bribery, but there's a matter of degree. Some are worse than others. Try living in Ethiopia for a while and see how you get along without paying bribes. Uh, <clears throat> and on and on it goes, but Micah says, but as for me, I'm going to look to the Lord. So all this evil is putting, pushing Micah in the direction of confiding in God more. Mm -hmm. It's just a typical prophetic way. I think that is probably a prophetic word very powerful for us today. If these things are not driving us to the Savior, and you're blind. Well, we've had it. You know. um, well, and to uh, Connor's point a minute ago, um, when he talks about um, uh, his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel, you know, when when the Jews' eyes were upon the Holy One of Israel, yeah. they were so spiritually bankrupt that they didn't even know it. Explain what you're saying. Exactly. Well, it's, it's you know it's more than just uh, uh, material poverty okay. that God's people are experiencing. It's okay. spiritual poverty as well. Yes. And though the Pharisees were mm -hmm. absolutely certain of their self righteousness, yeah. they didn't recognize the Holy One of Israel okay. when He was right oh, okay. before them. Okay. So it's a it's a different kind of demonic. Uh, influence. They had, they had finally broken away from their proclivity toward idols of the okay. people around them. Yeah. But they had made the law their idol. Yeah, that's true. Um, so knowing the Bible is not exactly enough. We've got to know the author of the Bible. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Charles. Well, I guess I have a question. Is it sounds? I was maybe I missed what has been said. Uh, it sounds like 7 and 8 is positive in that they're saying that they're going to realize they're looking to the Creator, you know, the, yeah. what's bad has happened, so it's turned their eyes oh, to... I, I think that's right. I think 7 and 8 are positive. Yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about 8, as Connor has already mentioned, about looking. They have been involved with all these altars made to the Asherim, 
so through tribulation that Israel will experience shortly, God will destroy our confidence in the Asherim. Uh, Exodus 34, verses 10 through 17. Let's read about the Asherim. Exodus 34, verses 10 through 17. If somebody has it, you can read it again. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, Break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they play the harlot with their gods. And make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. Yeah. Back in verse uh, 13, Craig's translation was a little different. Mine says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, those altars or false god altars. Asherah, uh, this name here was one of the consorts of Baal, it's a female deity, Asherah, Ashtar, and all of that. Incidentally, for where we get our word Easter from in the English language. A bunch of pagans, you know. Where we come from. Asherah was one of the consorts of Baal, Easter. These high places and altars and groves were places of pagan worship in which the forces of life, the spirits of life, and the spirits were manipulated through the worship of sex. So this is all spiritual manipulation, spiritual warfare involved with sexual uh, debauchery, if we could basically say that. Of course, it still goes on, I mean, in, uh, in, in uh, voodoo and stuff like that. It's practiced in, in, uh, in Cuba and Haiti a lot, and Brazil. Yeah, I mean, that stuff is still down there. So, uh, anyway, that's what it is. And God says, well, you know, you're not going to do that anymore. And in fact, you're going to cut down all these false places of worship and destroy all this stuff when you go into the land. So that was God's command to Israel. Craig says no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm wagging my head in disbelief because uh, I'm thinking about Gideon, yeah, Jerubabel, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is Baal, destroyer, a former Baal. Yeah, uh, his his opening uh, controversial thing was to cut down his father's Asherah. He was afraid they were going to kill him for doing that. Yeah. 
So it didn't take long for them to totally embrace the pagan pagan uh, tribes uh, practices. I know, it's just so amazing. Okay, anybody else thus far? Connor? If it makes anybody feel better about the whole Easter thing, <laughs> um, that's one school of thought. There is another idea for where Easter came from. That's not the only idea out there, is that it came from yeah. the Asherim. German. Um, early, early yeah, German, there's, right? a, there's another school of thought that it came from the old German and old Saxon, still coming from, you know, fairies and, and springtime equinoxes yeah, yeah, and all of that, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's still coming from yeah, that yeah. sort of source, yeah, yeah. but it didn't necessarily come from the Asherim, which was directly <laughs> in opposition to Yahweh. It did come from Druidism and all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Then, yeah, how did the name Easter come about I'm then? Gonna, I mean, gonna gonna what did the fathers call it when they were celebrating? So, the, so, so the rest of the world calls it Paschal. They call yeah. it Paschal. Yeah. Paschal. 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 But even so, I mean, even if it's from Ishtar, Esther is from Ishtar. Yes. Gideon's name is Jerubabel. Zerubabel is a major character. So, you know, Apollos, Greek god, all these pagan names really doesn't mean anything, God. <laughs> Yeah, the Apollo Theater in New York. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, the the greenery comes from pagan practices, Christmas tree yeah, and yeah. stuff. I mean, God just redeems this stuff. Oh yeah, the, the church sure. embraces this stuff and redeems it. For sure, I'm just saying. Well, we must have called it something else though before, and you're saying it was Pascal. Yeah. Most of the word Pascal. calls Easter what? Day, Resurrection Day, Pascal. Spanish is Pascua, that's what they use. That candle, that extra candle in there is called the Pascal candle. Is it the Pascal candle? I kind of doubt many people would buy the new Chevy Bailmobile. If they came out with a new Chevrolet Bailmobile. This is the business of the church. This is what we do. We take we, we take stuff, bring it, we, so we lay it at the feet of Christ, and we redeem it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, the, right. the, the, like the Hellcast. The Hellcast. Yeah, the rainbow belongs to the church. Go ahead, Kyle. The Celtic cross existed before Christianity came really? to I did I did not know that. This is what we do. Yeah. We take this stuff. And, and, mm -hmm. and every day, but we I lay agree. it at the feet of Christ. I agree. Revelation talks about the kings of the earth bringing their glory to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yes, there we are. Showing the influence of paganism <laughs> on us. That's all I'm saying. No, we have to around the deck, right? And even more so, just read the look on television. But will the pagan world ever talk about Easter now? What, what, <laughs> Easter is now an offense to the pagan world. Well, there you go. So we have redeemed it for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah my, my initial response always is when you get the criticism of, well, you know, the church just took Christmas and Easter and did this with it. My response is always with, oh, like, <laughs> so, so what? Yeah. So, yeah. It's been redeemed through Christ at this exact yeah, point. Yeah. So, yeah, here. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to make everybody mad. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no one was mad. <laughs> I'm interested. No, and that wasn't my my point. Is I think that's the that's the right response with criticism is throughout living yeah, living in I, church. It's just I agree. We should not feel sorry for God. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the snake on the pole was that the 
was that the ashram or am I getting that mixed up? Mm-hmm. That was Nehushtan. It wasn't ashram. The snake on the pole. The snake on the pole. Yeah, the bronze okay. snake. Yeah, the bronze snake. Uh, yeah. On uh, yeah. Moses. I thought it was Moses yeah. that did that. He did. Yeah. yeah. And what, so what was the? It's a Hebrew. I think it's Nehushtan in Hebrew, but I. Yeah. But what does that mean? I see. I see. Yeah. There was. A, I'm trying to remember what the statue actually was. There was a certain statue that was called that. It was an Asherim pole or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Before yeah, that, Moses. That, yeah. Before yeah, he that, had Moses. That right. Right. But that was not the snake on the pole. I don't think it was. Okay. I think not. Okay. But we can check. Uh, okay, well, let's go on. Uh, extremely interested in paganism, it seems, but uh, <laughs> let's get back. Now that we are that straight now. All right. Verse 9. Now, this is the day. Well, let's read it. In that day, their strong cities will be like the deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops which they deserted because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. So this is... Uh, so, uh, the Lord now, for the northern tribes, is in the process of breaking up Israel's old foundation. Not, well, they're second to oldest foundation. They're just so involved in paganism. Uh, of course, beginning with... Uh, who was that first king of... Uh, Israel? Israel. Was it Jeroboam? Jeroboam. You know, he established an alternative center of worship in Bethel and someplace else, and they made golden calves, and boom. I mean, right from the beginning, I mean, they're going down that, that road. So Now they've all become Mormons. Alright. So, God is, is, is trying to bring them back. Verse 10. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow a vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. So verses 10 and 11, forgetting and not remembering our God are part of the apostasy, or part of apostasy, or this is apostasy from Yahweh. I mean, from God. We need to remember. Mm-hmm. Likewise, forgetting and not remembering are part of current day apostasy, not only in our country, but yea, in the whole world, and must occur before the coming of our Savior, as in Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. Look at that. Scott, you want to look at that one? 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Stop just a second. That word rebellion there in Greek then is apostasy. That's the Greek word for that. Go ahead. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, 
proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and nothing, and bring, no, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So I'm not an expert on end time prophecy for sure, but it seems like a couple of things are going on, depending on where we're reading in Revelation and other places. It seems there will be a lot of like salvation happening. I mean, people coming to the Lord. But at the same time, according to here in Second Thessalonians, a lot of apostasy happening at the same time. Or a lot of falling away from the faith. Mm -hmm. That is, people who used to believe, well, that doesn't work for me anymore. Or, I used to assemble with the brethren, but I don't assemble anymore. And this is going to be characteristic. We could argue, I mean, this has always been characteristic. I mean, but this, anyway, is a characteristic of time preceding the second coming of our Lord. So I'll just throw that out for what it's worth. What's the characteristic? Apostasy from oh, the faith. Yeah. And my, the context I, I'm reading out from Isaiah here is uh, verse 9 which says uh, they deserted No, verse 10. Yeah, verse 10. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation. Yeah. So there was a big apostasy happening in Israel here. They, they forget God. So all these things are coming down. Okay, I'm going to, let's see. All right, verses 12 through 14. And this, okay, this is it. Ah, the thunder of many peoples. They thunder like the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of the nations, they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of mighty, many waters, but he will rebuke them, and they will flee far away. Chase like chaff on the mountains before the wind, and whirling dust before the storm. At evening tide, behold terror, before morning, they are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us, and the lot of those who plunder us. So, uh, the first word in this passage here in verse 12, ah, the thunder of many peoples. Does anyone have a different translation than that? Alas. Alas. The uproar okay. of many peoples. Okay. Anything else? Which, which, um, uh, one? Verse, chapter 12. Verse uh, excuse me, verse 12, first word. Oh, woe. Ah, woe to the multitude ah, of many people. This is all okay. The Hebrew word here is hoi, which can mean any of those things. Alas, woe, oh, 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 oh. That's what it says here. It seems like alas or woe is probably the best here. Uh, woe. Uh, 
uh, the thunder of many peoples coming down. So woe to Israel because this army is coming down. That's that's it. Oh woe is me. Oh woe is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roaring of the waves in verse twelve uh, many times represents the tumult of the nations. So this this image is used a good bit in scripture. The roaring of the waves. However, Christ's voice is superior to all this roaring of the waves and all the noise that these nations are making. As in in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. So let's take a look. Revelation 1, 12 through 16. Christ is the master of the sea. Revelation 1, 12 through 16. And I'll read it. It says... John says then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like the son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest the hairs of his head were white like wool as white as snow his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice it was like the roar of many waters. So Christ's voice is superior to this roaring of the nations. That's what I'm seeing here. In his right hand he held, he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So no matter, no matter what kind of evil the nations are doing or what kind of tumult is going on, Christ's voice is superior to all that noise that the nations are making. Likewise, here in Isaiah, uh, Yahweh's rule is superior to all this noise that the nations are making. So, in, so let's read it again in verse 12. Uh, ah, or woe, the thunder of many peoples. They thunder like the thundering of the sea. Back in yeah. Yeah, it's back in Isaiah. Isaiah 17. Ah, the roar of nations. They roar like the roar of mighty waters. Okay, we know that. Verse 13. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters. Yes. But he, that is Yahweh, or Christ, will rebuke them, and they will flee far away. Chase like chaff on the mountains before the wind, and whirling dust before the storm. So, even though it seems that a tidal wave is roaring in the nations, mm-hmm. then really, mm-hmm. the, the better uh, analogy would be that they're like chaff in the wind. Christ simply sweeps or speaks them away uh, according to his will, according to his sovereign will. What a man. Even the wind and the sea obey. That's it right there. Even the nations obey. The most elementary demonstration of this Mm -hmm. in the gospel. Christ Christ speaks the storm Mm -hmm. still. Spiritually speaking, Christ is in control of the nations. Yes. He can control the storm as he will. Well, there's no voice like the voice of God. Uh, he turns the king's heart as he does the rivers of water in Proverbs 21. So really, these nations are like chaff before the wind. In verse 14, at evening time, behold terror. Before morning, look at this, they are no more. It's not that Israel is no more, although they're going to be beaten up badly by Assyria, but they are no more. That is the Assyrians. They're gone. And they were. I mean, they were basically absorbed, defeated. Mm-hmm. 
This is the portion of those who loot us and the lot of those who plunder us. So, to put it in our context then, well, whoever the evil people are that are opposing us, God can deal with them in one way or another. I don't know how, but certainly he's capable and certainly he will according to whatever God's will for the nations is. I'm sorry, I don't really know that. But whatever his, uh, maybe his ultimate will is that people might be saved if the gospel go out to all the nations. But in terms of politics and all that, I don't have a clue really. So that's the end of what I have to hear, unless you have some other things we can talk about. Connor. There's, oh yeah. Um, so this, uh, this prophecy that evening time will terror before morning there are no more talking about the Assyrians yes. that actually was fulfilled uh, in the story in 2 Kings so can I read that real Please. Uh, this is from 2 Kings 19 I'm just going to read part of it the Assyrians showed up at Jerusalem's doorstep <laughs> it wasn't time yet for Jerusalem to fall you know it would fall but it would be later at the Babylonians, not at the Assyrians. Isaiah said, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield or cast a besieged mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city and save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, at evening time, behold terror. The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Before morning, they are no more. They are no more. Then uh, the king of Assyria departed and went home, and he went back to Nineveh. Um, Wow. So that's literally happening in the night. God does his work. I'm impressed by the 185,000. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's huge. That's more people than the Russians have lost already in the Ukraine war. Or about, maybe about the same. Mm -hmm. 